Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I definitely like was not smart with money. Like I just took out more than I needed to. And I remember my brother telling me at the time, he's like, you don't have to take out everything they give you. And I'm like, oh, I don't like, I don't have to take it all. I can give some of it back. Right. Like when they tell me I can have $10,000 for the year, I don't have to take all of that. And I didn't even, didn't even register at that time, just because it was the first time in my life that I had some of my own money that it, like it felt good to be honest. So I was using it and I was spending it and I wasn't budgeting. I wasn't keeping track of anything. I didn't really even know how to do that. Like I had never been taught that in school, which is why it's such like a big passion of mine to teach that to other people and to, to not bring all this like embarrassment and shame and emotion along with it, because that's what I felt like when I left school and I had $50,000 of debt. I immediately knew I needed to get a job. I needed to start paying that. So I got my corporate job, was being paid pretty well in that, in that corporate job. And again, first time in my life that I have my own money. And I'm like, I don't want to pay off this debt. Like, I don't, I want to, I want to be able to buy the almond butter if I want it. This is the first time in my life that I can spend $7 on almond butter and actually afford it or to have the gym membership that I really wanted to have. And so I wasn't really tracking my money. I was just kind of spending what I had. I was paying the minimum payments on my student loan, which put me at about a 28 year repayment plan, which I thought was normal. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to like graduate with all of this debt. I'm going to pay this off for the rest of my life. My, I'll probably still have this when my kids go to school. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Adrian, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So, you know, you and I have connected in the past, but um, you were referred to us by way of Selena Sue, who has constantly sent us a steady stream of amazing guests. So I'd expect nothing less from you. Um, <laughs> so I want to start with uh, a question that I think would be really informative and has always been really interesting uh, when people have told me this answer. And that is, what did your parents do for a living? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Hmm. So this is a... I love this one. And you're right. Never been asked this before. Right. So diving right in. Um, so my, my biological mother who is, I, I call her my biological mom because she's no longer in my life and it feels unnatural to just call her mom. Um, so she 
what did she do? She had a lot of like odd jobs. I think she was also, um, she did like some office management, uh, during certain points, but she was absolutely like a functioning alcoholic. And that was really interesting. And I could probably talk for hours about how that impacted me in, in different ways. And then my dad was, he was a management consultant. He is a headhunter. He always was very entrepreneurial while still working in the corporate space, like doing management consulting. So he would go in when lots of large corporations would have like massive layoffs and he would get to talk to the people who had just been laid off basically and talk to them about like what they were going to do with their life next (laughs) and how they were going to pick themselves up and how they were going to, you know, change that resume and prepare for that interview. And, and that was, um, you know, interesting now looking back, I understand how his entrepreneurial spirit has impacted me, but more than anything, it was all of like the money stuff that impacted me because we were like a feast or famine type of family. Mm-hmm. Um, like my dad was like very commission based and entrepreneurial at times. So, but when he did have money, he spent it. <laughs> so it was like money was either really good or really bad. And then my mom never really had money and money was always like a hard thing to have. And, you know, dad had lots of money, but he wouldn't give it to us like those types of things. So I think more than anything, it, it has impacted me in the context of, I knew I never wanted to be like my mom, mm-hmm. uh, in, in many regards. And it seemed better to be like my dad, but it still was important for for me to, I guess, manage my money better, which yeah. is interesting in terms of how I did not do that very well as a, as a young adult, and then kind of tried to get my head on straight and and figure all that out and paid off all my debt and, and some of those things. So like in hindsight, I understand my entrepreneurial spirit definitely came from my dad and like the freedom that he al- allowed himself. And he's still like, to this day, he's, he's older. He's like in his late seventies, but he still works. He's a headhunter. Um, he loves what he does, but he does it from home, which is cool to see as he's aged to like still like do what he wants to do from where and when. And that's just like kind of like bred in him. And then, but I always thought I was going to be like a corporate girl. Like I thought I was going to climb the ladder thought I was going to have that job. I was going to be a company woman and I was going to be a VP CEO had no doubt. And then my goals changed and I was like, Oh, I guess I don't really want that anymore. (sighs) So hindsight, I could see like why the entrepreneurial spirit was always in me, but I never thought that I never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur in actuality. I wasn't like the kid making bracelets. Mm. So I want to do a deeper dive into the relationship with your mom, as you probably mm. would have expected from having heard some of our interviews. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned that you could talk about it for hours and I'm curious, you know, one, what are the lessons learned from having, you know, such a difficult mother? Um, you know, what would you want other parents to know about this situation, uh, given that there are a lot of parents listening? And, you know, it, it seems to me like you've come out of the other side of this better for having gone through it. And I'm curious mm-hmm. why you think some people nece- don't necessarily have that experience. So uh, three questions in one, I realize. Mm-hmm. So the relationship, you know, what I've learned from that, I think, was I had to learn survival uh, at a very young age. Like I really took care of myself from from the time um 
I guess my parents split when I was around like kindergarten age. So I don't know what that is like five. So like around age five, I was pretty much like fending for myself at home. Right. But you know, I don't want people to think like, Oh, you were like living on the streets. Like, no, I, I had a home, a roof over my head. And so I was thankful for those things. And I, I think learned the law of relativity at a very young age and like understood that like I did have a roof over my head. I did have food on my plate every single night. Um, but I had to be able to like read energy very young. And I'm just understanding this even more now, like that I read people really well uh, because I never knew what, what I was going to get from her that night. Right. I never knew what was about to happen. So I was always like trying to be on my best behavior, trying to make sure that I didn't ruffle any feathers as well as just being prepared to read that energy. Like, was she in a good mood? Like, should I, do what she says, like what's about to happen this evening. Am I going to, am I going to be woken up in the middle of the night or am I going to be able to sleep? Um, so being able to read other people and be a good judge of character from a very young age off the bat. And so I had that survival instinct and that like independent spirit, which I still have to this day. And I'm very thankful for, mm-hmm. um, obviously I don't know who I would be without that experience. It wasn't a pleasant experience at the time. It was pretty traumatic. And I don't even think I understand to this day, like how traumatic it was because my, my brain is so smart that it's like blacked out large chunks of that childhood, which is like, wow, that's amazing that your brain can do that. Right? Like, why would we want to like drum up some of that? But (laughs) some of it I do, some of it, I'm like, why do I act the way I act? And so I'm just starting to like, even get into that more, but I've been through like years of therapy to understand because now as a married woman, I understand like a lot of the things that I do are directly related to that relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. In terms of like, you know, how, uh, like how this could be helpful to other parents. Well, I mean, I think anyone who's listening to this and who is hoping to, you know, improve their parenting skills, I think at any point like that you're conscious of like how to become better. Like my sister-in-law actually, her and, and my brother just had a baby last year and they're like, Oh, like, are we doing this right? Like anytime you're concerned about like being a good parent, you're probably a good parent. Right. (laughs) Um, because you're already worrying about it. And so I'm not sure like what lessons people could, could know, except that if you've ever been in this position or had a, you know, done things, you know, that you maybe aren't so proud of, like that there's still, learning lessons to be had because like you said, I am really, I am actually grateful for that situation and there always can be something better on the other side of it. If we're willing to see it that way, because it did make me who I am. It did make me strong, independent survivalist, uh, the ability to read people and be very disciplined. Like my work ethic is unmatched. I feel, and all of those things stemmed from like, had to be the best because I was trying to prove to her who she didn't care. Uh, I was trying to prove to her, like, I can be the best. I can be, you know, the child that you want me to be. I can be good. I can be good at school. I can be good at sports, like all of these things. Um, and, and so that led into, you know, being the best athlete, being the best student, being the best in my college program, being the best in my corporate role. Now, hindsight, I can see that like all of those things were me trying to prove to someone that wasn't even watching anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But it absolutely made me 
who I am today, which I'm pretty proud of. And I am not, um, I would say I'm not upset about that. And I always wanted her to know, like as an adult that I'm not, I don't hate her, not mad about it because I do appreciate like what it taught me and who I am because of it, as well as eventually at around age 12, when I was going into seventh grade, um, she called my dad and she was, we were there with my dad for the weekend. Cause he had like that, you know, part-time custody, like Wednesday night dinners and every other weekend type of dad situation. And so she called one weekend and just said like, don't bring them back. Like you can just have them. And so that was like this like abrupt moment where things changed. And at the time, I think it felt like it felt exciting because I was young and I was, you know, in an abusive home and to be able to like go and live with my dad. That's what I wanted. Um, but in hindsight, there's obviously a ton of abandonment issues around that. And I'm like, Oh, you don't want me anymore. (laughs) Um, but I'm really thankful that she was able to do that, that she was able to love me so much that she said, you know what, this isn't the best situation anymore. And I'm unable to be the parent that I want to be potentially. And so I like to think of it that way in terms of like my feelings around why she did that or how she did that, especially as an adult, as I look back, I'm like, wow, how could you do that? Right. But maybe you, you did that because you did love me so much. So I think that there's things that we as adults are able to understand better than we could as children as well. And I don't remember the third question, but I think I just went on like random <laughs> tangent that was hopefully helpful in some no, way for really, someone. Yeah, yeah, it really was. <laughs> um, I'm curious, have you had any contact with her after becoming an adult? Like what role does she have in your life today? Yeah. So throughout my graduate school years, like I remember her sending me some pictures because that was like one thing that I never had. Like basically my childhood felt like it was erased when I moved in with my dad because the next day after she called, um, we went to her house while she was at work and put basically what we could in a backpack and that was it. Right. Never saw her again after that day. Um, so I didn't have any like childhood pictures or things like that. And so that was something that she sent to me when I was in grad school. And I remember, um, just really going through a whole nother set of emotions because I saw this like picture perfect family in all these photos. I was like, Oh my gosh, these are pictures of like when we were together. So that was like the first, um, you know, re-engagement that we had since, since my younger years. And when I, and it didn't really like turn into anything because I had tried to nurture a relationship with her. I thought like maybe, maybe things had changed. Maybe she was a different person at this time. Like, and she was still drinking. She was still uh, the same person that she was 20 years beforehand, which was pretty sad to me. Um, so from there, there was lots of negative behaviors, like things where she would like harass me on Twitter or things like that, like social media, um, where she had more access to me. And this was before I even had a business actually. And so these things kind of went on and, and she was not like super 
connected, but this would happen like maybe once every six months or every year. And then once I, once I started my business, I became much more searchable, right? Like I'm searchable online. She can find me. Um, some of the interviews that I did, like we touched on, on this conversation, um, in like an interview I did with Farnoosh Tarabi on so money. And, and so then she started to contact me again and she started to, um, you know, threaten to pull my website down or to call other people and get, you know, get their website taken down. Or if there was a testimonial from one of my clients, it was, she was contacting them. (laughs) And, and on my birthday, about two years ago, she was just calling nonstop and leaving messages. And I got some death threats on, on those voicemails. And that's when I had to actually go to the police. I had to get a restraining order against my biological mother. And it was this moment of like, what she wants me to do is she wants me to stop talking about it. She wants me to shut up. She wants me to like be the, the child still. And I felt like that. I felt like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm getting in trouble. I feel like, like I'm that kid again in that house. And it was, it would have been really easy for me to like close up shop and be like, you know what? I can't run an online business. I can't be a visible uh, person on the internet because she doesn't want me to do that. She doesn't want me to talk about things that have happened to me or share my story with people that it might help. And so I made like a conscious decision at that point that I didn't want to to live with that fear or to live from a place of, I can't tell my story because I'm that child again, right? Like, because I'm going to get in trouble or because she gets to tell me what to do and what not to do. So she didn't, she didn't do anything, right? Like she's probably still calling me, but I have her phone number blocked and I have a restraining order if I need one. Cause my dad was like, you know, I think she has a gun. She maybe just, have a restraining order just in case. And that's sad to me. It's sad that I have to have that and sad that, you know, she's still in that place, but I'm in a much better place personally than I've ever been. And I do feel like there's so much that I have to share about this. And I appreciate these questions because I feel like I don't necessarily know how to talk about it as it relates to my business and where does it fit in, right? Like, why do people care? What does it have to do with me growing this business? But it is also about like that story of overcoming and story of survival and like also being really visible with the things that you, you know, want to share with the world or being really visible with your business. And that can be really scary sometimes, whether it's related to parents or past or, jobs. Like when I was starting my business, it was on the side of my day job, which meant there was, there was times when it was scary to be visible because what if someone finds out? And so that's like a, you know, Mm. thing I deal with every day. Cause who knows like what audience she's going to be in, what podcast she's listening to, what speaking event she's going to be at. Right. And so every time I get up to tell these stories, I'm always thinking that I'm like, especially in the digital age where she could be anyone. (laughs) And I'm like, is she on my email list? Is she in my Facebook community? Right. And I'm, I'm learning more to not filter myself, like because of those things that come up every single time, like, okay, is she watching this? Is she listening to this? And do I really care? (laughs) Um, 
because at the end of the day, I don't. Right. And I'm, I'm here to serve the people that are meant to hear my message. But it's not to say it's not scary still. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, thank you for your honesty. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I want to spend... Uh, a bit of time talking about two things. Uh, one is, you know, you brought up money and I think money stories in particular are very interesting given mm-hmm. that yours seems to have changed quite a bit, uh, going from sort of one extreme to the other. Um, you mentioned that you were irresponsible, uh, you know, early in your career when you were younger. And I'm curious, you know, like how has that evolved and how has it changed? Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So, you know, I never, 
So it's an interesting situation. Like when my brother went to college, like it was paid for. My dad was in a good financial situation at the time. You know, like I said, feast or famine type of type of uh, home home life. And so my brother went to college all paid for. Well, when I went to college, it was like at the height of the recession, uh, or I guess it was beginning to, to start it, to slow down. And my dad worked in a, in a business at that time where that definitely affected our home life. And, and when I went to college, immediately was taking out loans. And that was the only way that I was going to be able to pay for not my schooling because I had pretty much full ride scholarships for school, but I didn't have the ability to pay for like boarding and food and things like that. So it was under my dad's advisement that I take out student loans. And I was working during school at the time too. Now hindsight, I probably would have worked a little bit more (laughs) or a little bit harder um, so that I wouldn't have to take out as many loans. But I think I was just uh, naive and, ignorant in terms of how much I could take out. And I just took out like whatever they would give me. Um, so by the end of my graduate career, I had over $50,000 in student loans that I, and I have a master's, but most of my education itself was paid for, I'd say about 75%. So most of that came from, yes, the other 25% of like tuition and, just my cost of living over those like six years of school, which I don't, I'm grateful again. I'm like at the point in my life where I'm like, wow, I'm definitely grateful for that. I'm grateful for the experience of even paying off my loans because that gave me this whole other, you know, point of empowerment in my own life and with my money. So it has its own story related to it and why I'm thankful for it. But I definitely like was not smart with money. Like I just took out more than I needed to. And I remember my brother telling me at the time, he's like, you don't have to take out everything they give you. And I'm like, Oh, I don't like, I don't have to take it all. I can give some of it back. Right. Like when they tell me I can have $10,000 for the year, I don't have to take all of that. And I didn't even, didn't even register at that time, just because it was the first time in my life that I had some of my own money that like, it felt good to be honest. So I was using it and I was spending it and I wasn't budgeting. I wasn't keeping track of anything. I didn't really even know how to do that. Like I had never been taught that in school, which is why it's such like a big passion of mine to teach that to other people and to, to not bring all this like embarrassment and shame and emotion along with it, because that's what I felt like when I left school and I had $50,000 of debt, I immediately knew I needed to get a job, I needed to start paying that. So I got my corporate job was being paid pretty well in that in that corporate job. And again, first time in my life that I have my own money. And I'm like, I don't want to pay off this debt. I don't I want to I want to be able to buy the almond butter if I want it. This is the first time in my life that I can spend $7 on almond butter and actually afford it or to have the gym membership that I really wanted to have. And so I wasn't really tracking my money. I was just kind of spending what I had. I was paying the minimum payments on my student loan, which put me at about a 28 year repayment plan, which I thought was normal. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to like graduate with all of this debt. I'm going to pay this off for the rest of my life. My, I'll probably still have this when my kids go to school And I thought that because even some of my friends' parents, like one of my friends' parents is a general surgeon and he 
just, so I remember my friend telling me like, yeah, my dad just finished paying off his student loans and he was like 50 and he was a general surgeon. So I was like, oh, I guess this is just normal that we just all have this huge chunk of debt for the rest of our lives. So I was basically living at this time in when I was in my corporate career, I was basically living this time with like just at the end of the month, hoping, you know, hoping I had enough money. I was overdrafting. Like there was no reason I should be overdrafting my bank accounts. I just wasn't paying attention because it felt um, like easier to avoid it. Like I was just kind of scared to even look at the account. So I just like pray for the best by the end of the month. Um, and and when I was in corporate, I actually only got paid once a month. So I had to be pretty good at budgeting, which I wasn't doing at all. So I met my, um, my now husband who at the time, um, was in a very different financial position than me. He went to school for the same amount of time as me, He got his master's as well. He came from a situation where his family also did not have the money to help him go through school, except the only difference is I had $50,000 of debt and he had zero. (laughs) And that made me feel even more shameful and embarrassed and guilty and like, oh my God, I actually had this feeling where I knew that he was supposed to be the person that I married and I didn't want to tell him what my financial situation was because I was like, he's not going to marry me because of this. He's going to, you know, think that because I have a poor credit score, because I have all this debt, like that I'm unlovable and unmarriable. And I know that that kind of seems crazy, but I don't really think it is in relation to how people feel about their money and how they feel about themselves in relation to their money. I think that that's pretty, pretty common. And so I felt like this huge, like embarrassment and shame around that. And it was really like, finally, when I, when I kind of came out (laughs) to him about like how much debt I had, how long it was going to take me to pay it off. And I had like kind of built it up for, for him in terms of that conversation, because he was like, okay, well, how much debt do you have? Cause he had this huge chunk of savings and he's like, when we get married, I'm just going to pay it off. I'm going to pay off all your debt. And I was like, what? <laughs> like that made me feel even worse if you can believe it. Because I was like, no, 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 no. Like you're not going to like pay for my sins. Right. Like that makes me feel really horrible that you're, you've taken all this energy and effort and you've saved and you've done well with your money. And you're just going to, you know, whenever we get married, you're just going to own this debt. Like that feels really horrible to me. So it was like at that moment, I remember we were walking around our block at the time we lived in Alabama. And I was like, I'm going to try to pay off as much of this debt as possible before we get married. And I didn't, we weren't even engaged at the time. I didn't know when we were going to get married. I just knew that I needed to take some swift action and get my finances in order so that I could make not only him proud, but like make myself feel proud around that and feel like it was something that he wasn't going to have to worry about. So I took a class, got my budgeting in order and started paying off that debt. And at this time I still didn't have my business. I just was in my corporate job and I, I moved it from a 28 year repayment plan to a one year repayment plan. And then when I started my business, I was just putting as much of my money down onto that debt as possible and turned it from that 28 year repayment plan into the one year repayment plan. And then once I started my side business, which is now my full-time business, it was paid off in six months before we ever even got engaged. And so that was like the 
coolest thing that I ever did that was inspired by him. And from there, I just felt really empowered around my money. I felt really in control, which I had never felt in control in my life around money. And I think that it stopped me from doing things that I wanted to do. It, you know, stunted my own creativity because I was like, well, I have all this debt. I have all these payments to make. Like I can't do all these things that I say I want to do. But once I was free and clear of that debt, it really allowed me to get more creative, to do the things that I wanted to do and feel much more in control of my life. And then from there grew my business. We give back incredible amounts of money, which is a whole, you know, different side of, of money and getting comfortable with money. But I, I started giving back when I was getting out of debt because that was really important to me. Again, that like law of relativity of understanding that mm-hmm. even though I'm like living on a lot less than normal, um, I still have way more than a lot of other people. And so that was kind of um, critical to the success of me getting out of debt, as well as I think critical to the success of my business and making more money. Yeah. Wow. Um, so many, so many different thoughts come up for me. I mean, I, I have my student loan debt still. I'm one of those people that's on the 28 year repayment. Mm-hmm. Plan. Um, and it, it brings up a lot of like wounds for me when I, when I hear you mm-hmm. talk about it and, you know, I mean, I, I kind of looked at my situation. I was like, okay, on the one hand, you know, the guy who's been fired from every job he's ever had, probably not going to thrive in corporate America. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, and it, like for the longest time, I believed that there was one way to do this for everybody. And I'm at this point convinced that that's not the case. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but the, the thing that's, that is interesting to me, you know, I looked at it as, okay, am I going to let this debt define my life? And, yes. and that's, I think is where you run out of trouble. Cause I have so many friends who most of them have jobs that aren't going to lead them anywhere and they're pretty miserable. And the mm-hmm. only purpose that job serves is to pay off debt. That's it. Right. And I really, my, my thought was, okay, if I get to the end of my life and what's written on my tombstone is this guy paid off his debt. Congratulations, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and I'm not going to do that because I felt that my potential upside and the likelihood of paying off my debt would be much higher if I went down this path than I would have if I had done it the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, again, totally different story, but you know, it, it's interesting because the other thing that I started to get, especially in the last couple of months, as I've gotten to do a lot more speaking and, and started getting paid more was this idea of giving it away. Um, And I remember Dan Kennedy writes about this in his book. uh, I think it's like no BS wealth attraction. He said, you know, set aside a a percentage of every dollar you make to give away. And Mm -hmm. I have noticed that without fail, that dollar has come back. Like literally just the other day, I made it like every month I make a donation on donors choose to something because education changing education for this very reason is a big sort of hot button of mine because I think education is overpriced and in many cases even unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I make a donation and that donation came back like 48 times what I made you know, I love that. within a day. Yeah. So true. Right. And I talk about like having these like closed fists, right. When yep. we're so scared about like, oh my gosh, like I can't give anything away because it's all I have, right? Mm-hmm. Well, not only, like and I literally like hold my fists closed. I'm like, not only are you not letting anything out, but you can't let anything in, right? And just trusting, I think that whenever you do give, it is going to come back to you. And it's, again, like you said, it's worked every time for you. It's worked every time for me. It's worked every time for my clients. <laughs> and it continues to allow me to, to grow. But although, not only that, like fulfills me in so many other ways. And I'm sure that's true for you too, right? Like yeah. whenever you give, you're just fulfilled in 
more ways than monetarily uh, it returns. Well, you know, the thing that I, I was writing about this last night, and I said, you know, in order for money to grow, it actually has to flow. And if you're hoarding it, it doesn't flow. Exactly. Right. Like if you're keeping it all, like you can't, um, you can't really like save yourself to, to wealth, right? Yeah. Like you do have to, um, there's only so much that you can cut back. There's only so much that you can save and, you know, giving, giving it away is showing that you do trust the process and you do, um, you know, trust that there's more where that came from. And I, I don't think that I was, like that when I was in corporate yeah. at all. So, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You said you can't save your way, save your way to wealth. And Garrett Gunderson, I think had said that to me and that really struck me. I remember that stayed with me forever. I was like, yeah, that's, that's true. I don't know anybody that I could honestly, he said, you know, the best way to live below your means is to increase your means <laughs> is what he said. And I said, okay, I, I like that. Um, you know, one of the thing, other things that struck me that you said is there was a point at which you had this idea that you wanted to, you know, be like a VP or, or C-level person, mm -hmm. um, but that goal changed. And I'm curious when that was and, and what caused it to change. Yeah. So I, th I think the moment for me, because I, I loved, I did love what I did in corporate and I do a lot of similar things now, um, just in, an external position, uh, for myself, but I, I loved what I did. I loved the idea of like being the best, which is kind of what being a CEO or a VP, uh, you know, signified for me and just thought that that was the path, right. That you just fast track your way. And I was like on the path for fast track growth inside of our organization. I was like one of the only females, uh, in our department and I was good at what I did, but the moment changed for me when I had a meeting with, it was like my quarterly review and my manager at the time was letting me know that they only give out like one exceeds commitments for each team. And they also have to give out one does not meet commitments. So like below commitments, and then mostly everyone else gets in the middle. So it's this bell curve type of system that they have to give out a below and they can only give out one exceeds. And what he said, to, and I was even like, I was even okay with that. I understood that even though, you know, I was like, this is stupid because this is not a merit system. Um, but what he said to me was that, the way that they do it now is basically just on rotation. They just like put someone in a hat and it's your turn. You're up in line for exceeds this year. And so-and-so is in line for below commitments because we just had to pick someone. And so we just, we just rotate these people. And so thank you for all of the hard work that you've done. You've, you know, excelled at this, 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 and this, this year, you've, you know, outperformed in outstanding ways on all these projects. You couldn't have done a better job, but because you're not like next in line, you're not going to get it. And I was like, I literally like, laughed in my chair. I was like, this is so funny. Like so funny that this is how it works. And so funny that you're openly sharing this with me because I'm appalled. <laughs> like I, I just knew that I didn't want to be part of a system that didn't encourage 
I guess, good work, right? Like it didn't encourage or incentivize me to do my best. It actually did the exact opposite. And I was like, wait, so everything that I've like done this year, really like no one cares. (laughs) And that isn't like the end all be all for me. Like I don't need to be like recognized with a four and a half percent increase in my, in my, you know, salary, but it did just kind of help me realize that that's not what I wanted to be a part of. And it like, it wasn't a system that I wanted to continue to help other people be a part of either. Cause I was on like the recruiting team and like I was doing interviews with people and it just felt like a big friction in terms of my own values. And I was like, this is kind of rubbing wrong for me. And I can't, I can't get on board with it for the long term. And so my, my, like when I looked at the VPs that were in the positions that I was potentially interested in at one point, I was like, I don't think that I want that. Like they're not happy. They work 24 seven and I don't really think that they love what they do. Like I felt like it was like all a big hoax. (laughs) And so at that point, I realized that while that might be some people's dreams, it was no longer mine. And I had recently like fallen into this world of entrepreneurship where I started meeting entrepreneurs and I started understanding that maybe there was something else I could do, that maybe I could take my skills and apply them in a different way that I hadn't really thought about before. Because when I was in corporate, I thought that was the only thing. And so I, I always think talk about like how... I was inside of this box at corporate and I was going to be the best inside of that box. Like I was fully understanding of what was possible for me. I understood what my income capacity would be. I understood like, here's the positions that were available to me and I was going to be the best inside that box. But I didn't even realize that there was like a bigger box. (laughs) So once I, once I started to like connect with people that were doing different things and they were running their own businesses and they were not only like making lots of money, but doing what they wanted and being paid for it. And I was like, wow, like I now understand that there's, there's a different box. There's a bigger box and I can learn from these people. So I was starting to kind of dive into the world of entrepreneurship to see how that may be aligned with my goals mm-hmm. more than that VP position did at that time. And what that VP position kind of embodied or uh, meant for me was, you know, the, the title itself. It wasn't really like what the job was that I wanted is what I realized. I was like, I just want to be the best and I can do that somewhere else. (laughs) So, you know, another thing that I I know from uh, the introduction that Selena gave uh, to you uh, Mm -hmm. was that you've made rapid progress uh, since you started your business. And I'm curious, what do you think it is that facilitates that? And why do you think some people, you know, takes so long, you know, cause we talk so much about the 10 year overnight success, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, and I'm guessing there are probably parts of your story. I feel like any person that we see that appears to have had a fast drive, yeah. there's a whole eight years behind that story that we've never heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do feel like my, my, um, success has been very quick in terms of financial success for the business, um, working with incredible clients, being able to give back a ton of money, creating a lifestyle that I wanted, you know, being able to bring my husband, um, home. He works on our team now too. And, um, 
the, the thing that allowed me to do that was understanding like what I needed to focus on most and putting my blinders on for everything else. And for me, that was building relationships. And so from day one, like being really clear on, okay, what am I, what am I good at? Um, what am I, what am I not too, too good at yet? Right. Like I didn't really understand the, the, what I didn't know in terms of entrepreneurship. So I was like, I'm a, I'm a sponge for learning, but I was really focused on like, okay, what do I need to learn and who do I need to learn from? And I just dove in. And so my, my first year of business was 2015 and I chose the word bold for that year. So I really like tried to embody that word with everything that I did because there was absolutely things that I was afraid of. There was things that I felt I had no business doing. Um, but the, the most important thing was for me to be visible about this business, because if I was not going to be visible with it, which is, I think what most people are afraid of or are, you know, stopping themselves from achieving more success is because they're not talking about the work that they do. They're not getting out there and sharing it with other people. They're not building relationships and seeing how they can support other people and in turn be supported. So my number one focus from day one was just like relationships and, um, serving people. So I served people and I, and I did that day in and day out. So I did this like on the side at first. And so I built up that business before I quit my job and I, and I, I think like you said about the, the debt or about money, like that's not for everyone, right? Like I think everyone has to have their own personal path. But for me, it was important to build up this business enough where I could pay my expenses with what I was bringing in. I never felt that I needed to replace the corporate income before I left the job. I just wanted to be able to pay my expenses and I knew I didn't need a ton to be able to do that. So I got the business to that point, but really focusing on how do I build relationships with people, both like potential clients and just peers so that I could learn from what people were doing and mentors, um, there was a couple books at the time in the beginning that I like poured myself into and I like mastered those books because, um, books are a really great resource if you actually use them <laughs> and most people don't. So I just like treated those books as if, as if the author was personally mentoring me because that's what I had access to at the time. And then from there continued to build relationships with people that I knew could support me and that I could support. And it worked. I think that also like having, having that focus on, okay, I know it's really risky for me to not be visible with this. So as scary as it is, as fraudulent as I sometimes feel, even to this day, right. I'm like, I have these moments where I'm like, who am I to like talk about this? Or like, why do people even listen to me? Right. Like I'll tell my husband, I'm like, you know, I just taught this whole class and then I'll go downstairs and I'm like, why do people even listen to anything that I'm saying? And he's like, well, because you've done this, 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 and this, and because you've gotten these types of results for your clients. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I do have like some reason to be talking here. Right. But I think that we all, I know that we all have these moments of like imposter syndrome and, and it's like catching yourself before you spiral out of control and having a support system to, to bring you back to who you are and, and what you do best. And just, just, focusing on it and being disciplined and being consistent, which isn't necessarily one thing, you know, that's a horrible, like, it's not one thing, but it is 
every day committing to do it, you know, committing to doing it. And I did every single day. Like I woke up with that commitment and that excitement to do the work that I love doing. And I think, um, if a lot of your listeners are in, you know, the entrepreneurial space or the online entrepreneurial space, like it can get really easy to be caught up in the wrong things. And it's like, just like focus on the good work that you do and keep doing it. Right. Like I never got caught up in the flashy stuff, I would say, or the shiny objects. I was like, what am I, what am I really good at? And how do I, how do I show up disciplined every single day to do it? And it paid off (laughs) what seems like a quick, quick amount of time. But when you do something every day, I think that that's why that happens. Right. And this is my background. So I'm not going to say that like, everyone can do this as quickly as I can, because everyone's story is going to be different. You could do this quicker than me, right? But like my background is all about operational efficiency. And how do we get more results from less energy? So I call it like, purposeful laziness, right? Like, (laughs) how do I be more lazy? How do I get more results by actually doing less? And I try to apply that to every single piece of my own business, right? Like, where, where am I actually like, overcomplicating things or doing more than I actually need to, to get the same result. And so I applied that to myself and to my business and it worked. Hmm. You know, there's one other thing that has come up over and over again during our conversation and it is this notion of being the best at what you do. <laughs> um, and the question that comes from that really is, I think we all have that to some degree. How do you mm-hmm. manage that and not get up get caught up in the tendency to compare, which is very easy to do in a world where everybody's life is on display. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, it's a great question and I don't think I've mastered it at all. Um, but I have a few things that like personally help me. So number one, I'm always like keeping my own metrics so that I can be playing the game against myself. Right? Like, and we have to know where we're at so that we can know how we can improve. Like, so I want to be the best version of myself, not the best version of everyone. Cause that is, you know, comparing apples to oranges and different situations to different situations. And so while I do want to be the best, I'm consciously working on how do I become the best version of myself every single day? And what do I need to do today to feel like the best version of myself? How, what do I need to do to feel proud of myself at the end of the day? And I often ask my husband this question too, because he's gone through periods of like, not feeling of value, right? Because he's not working, um, like in a corporate job or something like that, that he's used to, he's working for, for my team. And that, that has brought on its own set of challenges. And, and he's gone into like these slumps and, you know, the question at the end of the day that I always am asking him, I'm like, it's not about impressing me, dude. Like, you gotta ask yourself, like, are you proud of you at the end of the day? Like, do you feel proud of you? And so I always am asking myself that question too. Like, do I feel proud of me at the end of the day or no? Um, so keeping like metrics or ways to track that, like to know my own performance is improving as well as noticing when I'm getting caught up and comparing myself to other people and limiting those interactions as well as kind of being aware and analyzing them. So in the beginning of my business, there was some people that I did not like and, and I, and I would see them online and I was like completely triggered by what they were doing. And I was like, 
why are they getting those results? Like, why are they, you know, why is their business blowing up so fast? Or, oh, they're making that much money every month. They must be doing something, you know, sleazy to make that much money. And, and when I became consciously aware of that, uh, of these, me judging these people that I, and comparing myself to these people I didn't even know at the time who now have become friends. Um, I realized that I was only being triggered because I wasn't there yet. And I couldn't put myself in that position every single day because it was not productive to my growth. It was not productive to me focusing on what I needed to do best. I was not, I was, I was comparing myself to every single thing, which was only distracting me more from the thing that I needed to do. So I try to keep my blinders on, especially in the online space. It's pretty easy to, to fall into those comparisons. So like, I don't scroll on my social media. Like I don't go down those rabbit holes. And if I start to, I, I like consciously check myself and I'm like, Whoop, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? <laughs> um, or where are you getting upset? Like, why are you comparing yourself? Is it because you don't feel like you're proud of yourself right now? Or you don't feel like you have the clarity that they do. So, um, using those as using those triggers that I feel and the ways that I am comparing myself to understand where I want to improve, because I think those can be signs to us of, where we're feeling like we need to improve or where we feel like we're dropping the ball or like we're not performing the way that we want to. So that's been huge for me because I think it's only natural. It's human to, to compare yourself, but really knowing that I'm, I got to play my own game. I got to run my own race. And that comes back to like, I'm a competitive trained athlete and I thrive in those situations where I am competitive. And so I have to remind myself that the only person I need to be competing with my, with is myself though. And how do I do that is by knowing like where I am right now and where I want to be. So same thing, like in the gym, I can't compare myself to the girl across the room, although I can use her to inspire me to go faster on any particular day or lift more on any particular day. Um, I'm really only comparing me to what I did last week or what I did yesterday and what I want to do next week. And that means I got to show up and I have to train. And the same, same is true for business, right? I can't expect to be where someone else is without knowing what actually went into that for them too. <laughs> Cause it's easy to say like, Oh, I want those results and I'm going to compare myself to what they're doing. But like behind the scenes, that person is training for what they did. That person is the 10 year success story, right? That's just popping up and, uh, they've done the work. And so I can't compare myself to that. I just have to be asking myself, am I doing the work? Like, do I feel proud of myself on a daily basis? And if I do, then I'm moving in the right direction. Wow. Um, well, I, I think that makes a really fitting end, uh, to our conversation. So I have one last question for you, which I'm, I'm sure you've heard me ask, uh, it's how we close every interview on the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Mm. I think for, for me, it's like being, being so confident in your own truth that you don't have to filter anything like that. You can show up so much as yourself that it like radiates. And there's very few people in my life that I've met that are like fully unfiltered. And it's just, it's unmistakable to me. Mm. Awesome. Um, well, this has been amazing. I mean, you've packed it with so many amazing stories and insights. Where can people learn more about you and your work? 
Well, thank you for having me. It was super fun. We absolutely went uh, in all the different directions, which I love. And uh, they can find me at adriandorison.com if they're not scared by now. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And if anyone is yeah, interested to know more, they're probably not going to know more than they already do on this interview, though. But adriandorison.com. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys.
and download your free copy.